Hi, I'm Joel. This is the Creativity Pulse podcast, a podcast where we dive into the cool waters of creativity and cruise around some creative thinking, evolution of ideas, and innovation that currently exists in a variety of industries and businesses, big and small. I chat with my guests about their life and business and their approach to creativity. The guests share some of their methods and techniques with us so we can try and understand how some of the more creative people around us go about being, well, exactly that, more creative. For those of you just joining us, let me explain how things work. There's a weekly episode with a guest lasting between 15 and 20 minutes. There's then a series of three episodes. They're really interesting people and my idea, initial idea anyway, of two episodes meant the episodes were getting to be a marathon of listening. There is also a takeaway with the third guest episode. This summarizes the whole conversation with some creative ideas linked in. It includes some insights to help you exercise, flex and build your creative mental muscle. You'll also find some information on the website that helps you do this. Check out the creative ideas generators, for instance. Here we are on the Creativity Pulse. We'll jump straight back into the conversation. I think one of the problems we have is you mentioned the highest quality of education for every child. I think we struggle to actually define what that is. And when we do define it, then come to a general agreement as to whether, you know, what that actually looks like. And I think there's something that we will always struggle with in education, but as you've mentioned, that's learning to learn and we learn to deal with that and to improve it as we go along. The sort of moving on to a couple of things, I'm going to come on to your book in a minute, but I want to ask you just one one question. This is a big one in classrooms at the moment. What's your view on chat GPT? Oh, see, I, I love it because what that tells me is that we are still focused on content and, and focused on just, you know, they said the same thing about calculators, you know, you know, if we have calculators, you know, these kids will never have to do this or this, or I, this is, this was the, the gym that I remember hearing a teacher say once, you know, uh, you've got to learn your multiplication tables and, and all this, because, you know, what are you going to do? Carry a calculator with you at all times. And all of us do. It's a cell phone. Uh, we don't even have to type in the calculator anymore. We can just ask Google to solve it for us. And so what we have to do is take this chat GTP and say, okay, so here's what we have been asking of our students to display this, this type of learning. You know, how can we modify our task uh, and use this AI as a tool as part of that task in learning? Uh, because it's not going away. And we either, you know, the longer we fight it, the more learning opportunities that are missed out on. So right now, you you know, we all said the same thing about Google when Google came along. You know, they're just going to Google everything. They're just going to chat GDP everything. Well, what are we designing for them as a task to bring, you know, bring to the table to, sh- to have them work through and produce evidence of learning that can involve that? Uh, because we don't evolve, uh, you know, we're just doing our, our students and our next generation a disservice. 
you know, have them have them utilize those tools instead of uh, you know finding them so much because you know instantly, you know, it's been a couple months since you know the fever pitch. I mean, it's still ongoing, but really the the shock hit the education public schools, and they just instantly banned it and blocked it and everything else. And um, you know, at some point, you're going to have to let that door back open, and whether you like it or not, and you're going to have to be ready for it. A friend of mine does. Um, he's a an app developer, and he said, "Look, you know, he says it's a wonderful tool, but you still have to learn how to use your tool." He says, you know, you can stick a rocket or a computer in front of somebody, and if they don't know how to actually operate it, it's just a dumb piece of equipment or a dumb and potentially intelligent piece of equipment. So my experience of it is that I can instantly tell, pretty much instantly tell, whether someone's chat GPT'd something. You ask them five questions, and they're like, um, um, yeah, I'll get back to you on that. Mm-hmm. No difference when my kids were uh, were using Google to search essays that were already written. You know, I can I I know this kid well enough. I know what his writing looks like, and I can be three sentences in, and I can say, "This is not you, Peter." And so I would take about six words, put it in quotation marks, throw it in Google, and find the essay that he copied. And so you know, it is no different. You know, if I know my kids well enough, you know, in classroom and know what they're you know performance normally is and i can see this thing come out of left field exactly what you said you know this is not you it's back to that whole teachers learning all about their students and being able to articulate that very well Um, that data doesn't you know this is a i teach economics so you can take two countries and they have the same gdp per capita and yet they're radically different in every other aspect and there's the problem with data that 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 makes me think how cool would it be if we had teachers uh defend their views of students like uh doctoral students defended dissertation and they met before a panel and and i hear student a and i this is this is what i've observed this is what i've you know seen in the student here's evidence and just defend that student's overall picture of learning uh, instead of just throwing a 88 in the grade book and moving them on the next year that would be an interesting task for teachers i'm sure some of them would stick their hands up and say more than happy to do it and others would just be terrified and quit their job and go and work for an oil company somewhere but onto your book i know you've got the uh, let's stop teaching Tell us all about that. Do you, I've got a couple of questions. First, why did you write it? Second, do you have a process around that? Um, it started out with just um, just thinking thinking about my own experience. Again, um, you know, went through college, went to the classroom, uh, and had my own kids to you know experiment with, uh, practice with, and uh, you know, I knew what I enjoyed in the classroom as a student. And so I put my own flair on it, you know, and, and, and for the most part, you know, I, I still see my former students, you know, out in the community and, and out and about, and they'll give me compliments and, you know, talk about how that much they enjoyed my class, how much they learned. Uh, but again, I look back on the experience that I, that I gave them. And I said, you know, I did way more teaching than I should have 
and I really didn't think about learning. And uh, so, you know, when we look when we look at what we do in education through that lens of learning, you know, it changes a lot of our choices. And so, you know, I wanted this book to be something that challenged our veteran teachers like myself, thinking, you know, what have you been doing and how can we make it better? I also wanted this thing uh, to be something that you can hand a new teacher and say, you know, here's what the job really is about, you know, and also for leaders to look, you know, because a lot of our leaders are teachers who have you know been doing this teaching thing for a long time. And so, uh, you know, a lot of our leaders don't have uh, the, the instructional background and knowledge uh, that, that, you know, they just walk into the classroom and if they, if it's well behaved and kids are answering questions and they look like they're engaged, well, everything's all right. But again, we've been teaching for probably the better part of two centuries now. And if you took it, you know, you know, the, the very first story in my chapter one is, you know, about this class and Miss Mitchell and she's just enjoying her class and students are this and that and this and that. And then she leaves for the day and she's thankful that you know, the local farmer left his mule there for her to ride home instead of her having to walk four miles back because it was 1923. And so up until that point, you would have never known that it was 1923. You know, you thought it was just a modern classroom in any, anywhere in the world. So, uh, you know, just, just giving some practical, you know, just practical, here's what I, I can do in the classroom uh, for learning. And it basically boils down to this. Who shows up to our room has everything to do with how I prepare for that. You know, students are coming to our rooms right now and students are compliant and they sit in their desk and they raise their hand and they do their work and we grade their work and we come back and do it the next day. Or I can have learners come to my room who uh, activate their prior knowledge, uh, you know, bring up what they already know. They take content that I present to them and they do something with it and they're engaged and they're driving learning and they're having the conversations and they're collaborating and they're self-assessing and they're receiving constructive feedback and they're revising and they're reflecting and all the other stuff that we know companies want. Uh, but we also that knows that learning is. And so whoever shows up in my room, a student or a learner has is 100% on me and on the design that I am going into the classroom with, you know, so it's all, you know, doing that pre-work before you ever walk into the room and you, you can have either teaching or learning going on. So it's multi-perspective and multidisciplinary in exactly. that respect. It, it, it can apply to any content area and any grade level for the most part. Sounds fascinating. Do you think that the ultimate change will come from sort of big government intervention? Or do you think that the major changes in education will come from the classroom where the teachers are effectively not ignoring the syllabus because you can't do that, but they're changing it in so much um, of a, of a, way or manner i'm not sort of too sure how to articulate this that the system changes anyway um i think about the words of buy-in and commitment 
you know, there's two different, there's two different driving forces. You know, buy-in is typically adult centered based on how I feel, based on my thoughts and opinions. And a commitment is, okay, here's what I'm promising to do, or we are promising to do together no matter what. You know, I liken it to a marriage, you know, uh, we're making a commitment, you know, it's going to get ugly. <laughs> I'm going to want to live in a cave somewhere, but, uh, we have committed to this and no matter what, this is what we've committed to. That's what it's going to take for education to change. And it's you, and it's probably going to happen at the grassroots level, you know, at a school. And when one school experiences some kind of tremendous, you know, success in this, then other people are going to start noticing and they're going to want some of that. Um, and, and that's, that's, that the problem is that, you know, getting that commitment, you know, not focusing on buy-in and that takes some strong leadership and it takes some strong, um, you know, you know, we make these commitments, but at some point somebody's got to be held accountable. You know, we have to inspect what we expect. And so, you know, it's just having, creating a culture and a climate that, that, you know, fosters all that. And, and again, you know, I have a framework in my, in my book that teachers can operate in. And my thing as the classroom teacher is, uh, you know, I didn't like to be stifled as far as what I had uh, to read or bring to the kids. You know, I remember the, the last classroom that I was in, you know, I was in this school for nine years. The very first day I walked in, they handed me four, big five inch binders uh, and unit one through five. And there's like, here's what we do. And I just flipped through it and I said, it might be what you do, but it's not going to be what I do uh, because, you know, I'm not reading the same things my parents read in ninth grade. You know, we're going to read some other things. Uh, we're going to write some other things uh, because, you know, it's, these kids sitting in my room who are, you know, from high poverty areas are not going to connect with this piece of literature. No way. Yeah. Uh, and so I brought different things to the table and, and, um, you know, made the classroom my own. I still taught the state required standards and the beauty of our standards is there's no required reading. You know, you do not have to read A, B, C, D, you know, it's, it's skills and, and, um, you know, tasks, not necessarily content. And that's, again, leans back towards learning, you know, more than teaching. I think one of the, uh, my friend puts it like this, like so many things in life nowadays, it's follow the blue arrow, no thinking required, just follow the blue arrow. And I think teaching has suffered because of that. I remember my mum qualified in the 60s and subsequently left in the 80s because it became, it was moving way towards the Blue Arrow teaching a lot longer than it actually became very obvious that that was the way it was. Um, excellent. One of the standard questions I ask, do you see yourself as a generalist or a specialist? Perhaps a, um, well, more of a specialist when it comes to learning and talking about learning. Uh, you know, um, I've been fortunate and experienced a lot of professional learning in my own 
career in these last 10 years or so. And it's helped fuel a lot of what was in my book. It's also fueled a lot of the things that I bring to my teachers in my classroom. And so, um, you know, I, I, I love talking about learning and, you know, I'm a specialist in that way, but as far as creativity goes, um, I like dipping my hands in just about everything. Um, like for example, this table that I'm sitting at right now, I built, you know, from scratch without any plans, uh, just because we need a dining room table and it's, you know, it's, it might be a family heirloom one day, you know, it's, it's solid. It's not going anywhere. Uh, but you know, my wife, my wife and I enjoy doing creative things outside the box, painting and, and, um, you know, construction, uh, you know, I, I like to work with my hands so I could, I'm right, maybe right there in the middle of the road, uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, creativity, um, you know, I'm always up for new challenges and, and always up for learning, uh, anything, um, you know, so specialist when it comes to learning, you know, I'll talk about learning all day long and, and love to have those conversations, love to be challenged in it and love to be, uh, you know, part of those conversations. But then again, you know, I will generally jump into anything, uh, creativity wise and, um, you know, have a hand in it as well. One of my, uh previous guest said i'm a specialist in what i do he's a business consultant he said uh you can be as general as you like but eventually someone says so what what exactly is it that you, you actually do and he's like yeah okay so this is what i specialize in but he said everything else that i do in my life adds to my generalist view of everything which helps me be a better specialist in what i do um would you agree that that makes you a better um educationalist i'm sure there is someone called washington sitting down going you know my great 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 granddad made this and he was called george so maybe your great great grandchildren will be doing that as well obviously you know (laughs) you know whatever we specialize is came from a general area at some point and so you know we we bring in all our experiences from everything we have uh and um, whether that's in the arts or in, you know, you know, production of things or or anything at all, uh, you know, like you just said, it, it makes what we choose to pour our passion and our special specialty in all the more meaningful when we can, you know, bring in all those other experiences we have in the general area. And, and it helps, you know, not only helps us make us better specialists, it helps us you know, be able to take what we specialize in and push it out to others because we've had those other experiences. I made a a quote speech marks here. Specialized uh, experiences come from a generalized area anyway. I think that's an excellent way of of putting that. Um, Thank Thank you for that. I've made some notes here on that. Another quote that I love of yours is we inspect what we expect. And that's a, another excellent one that I will use, if I may, in, uh, in, in the future. Creative people, you're from the United States. It has a long history of some of the most creative people on the planet, both you know, alive today um, and not with us any longer. If I had to put you on the spots, who would you say is the most creative person in the United States? It can be 
anybody. It doesn't have to be anybody we know. I mean, when I, when I think about creativity, I think about uh, – my wife and I just had this conversation because we were watching um, – you know, the TV was on as we are moving around the house, and uh, there was a show on, and it was just a production line of some kind of food item. And I stopped and I said, you know what fascinates me about this is that someone had to build this machine that does this specific task. And so when I think about that, I think about engineers and I think about inventors. And so I think names like Thomas Edison or Ben Franklin, you know, who, who were in an era where, you know, things we take for granted today were just completely science fiction type of concepts. And they, you know, created things from nothing, uh, you know, necessities, the mother of invention, you know, we, we just have people who can just take, you know, something that needs to be done and building something that gets that done with minimal human effort or input and get it done so much faster. And it just amazes me about how much, you know, how exponentially things are, are growing. Uh, you know, just, you know, I'm only 47 years old. And so I can, I think, you know, back to my twenties and even what a cell phone looked like in my twenties, you know, to what we have now and what they can do. You know, my, my father, you know, said, you know, the cell phone that I have in my hand now has, you know, a thousand times more capacity and memory than the first computer we owned when you were a kid. So, you know, just, just how exponentially we are growing in not only knowledge, but also in our ability to do things, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's scary, but it's also exciting at the same time, you know, chat GDP, the, the thing I joke with, with, uh, when I show it to some of my teacher friends, you know, who haven't experienced it for the first time. And I show just a bunch of different things it can do. And I said, the machines are coming for us, you know, at some point, you know, they're going to figure out that they know better than we do. And we're all done for because their first response, when I showed that chat GDP can read the student's essay for you, grade it on the rubric you already have written and spit out a score and gave the student feedback and that you as the teacher aren't needed at all. You know, their first you know, expression is horror that this machine can read this and do this faster and better than I could. A, a guest I was talking to um, a while back said, you know, look, chat GPT has the potential to solve many of the issues that we have in the world. He said, the scariest part is when it figures out that we're the problem mm-hmm. to everything. He said, and then we're into that sort of Skynet, yep. weird, I'll be back situation. And I said, yeah, but, you know, surely there'll be a kill switch on this thing. And he says, but it won't work because it'll be cleverer than all of us mm-hmm. and it'll have already figured out how to dismantle that, you know. And I said, well, how do you figure out when that moment is? And he says, you'll know that moment when the kill switch doesn't work. Yep. You know, you're like, okay, that's kind of dystopian. And he said, look, you know, I have a really brought, you know, wonderful utopian attitude towards all of all of this stuff but obviously there's 
the darker side of things, like you've mentioned, sure. the darker side of data and all of that. I think the interesting thing with Edison, everybody remembers him for the light bulb, but he did, I don't know, something like 100,000 yes. um, experiments, had lots of different tables set up, and they all, all of his experiments sort of bled into each other and did the way he sort of thought about them. And and he actually commercialized. I think of him as the Willy Wonka of, of you know, industrial inventions. You know, it's just that creative kind of workshop. What a wonderful, yeah, Willy Wonka. With it. I, I wonder whether he had any yeah. Oompa Loompas or anything like that. But, yeah, he's a, I think the guy, James Swan, was a British chap who I think invented the light bulb. But, you know, he just couldn't get it to the point where he could make more than one of these things and get it to work for more than three minutes or whatever before it sort of melted, exploded, or whatever it did. But it's interesting that you go sort of all the way back because Jefferson and Edison are uh, – some of the most inventive people and any book you read on creativity, they're always in there um, along with someone like Leonardo da Vinci. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you. It really has been really interesting. I have a couple of pages of a three of notes. I'd love to have you back on at some particular point. If you're, gracious enough to accept my invitation that would Anytime. be wonderful thank you very much well, i really enjoyed the conversation as well well that's it for this week join us next week don't forget to have a look at the website you'll find some stuff to help you develop your creative abilities i'm joel who are you where do you come from and what do you do